Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel. Honestly, you don't want to be taking generic legal advice from a YouTube channel or podcast in any event. On with the show. Good morning and welcome to another Virtual Legality. My name is Richard Hogue, managing partner of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today it looks like we're going to be continuing with Removed from Steam Week here on Virtual Legality as we talk about another game that has been removed from Steam under perhaps not quite so unusual as a circumstance as the Devotion game that we talked about earlier this week, but still a somewhat problematic occurrence, especially for anyone that's trying to invest in the digital landscape. And that game is Overkills the Walking Dead. Uh, and although it's called Overkills the Walking Dead in reference to the makers of the Payday franchise, uh, it is in fact published and developed by a company called Starbreeze, which owns the intellectual property rights to uh, Payday and Overkill, uh, and is actually owned in terms of licensing intellectual property uh, by a company called Skybound, uh, which owns the, the Walking Dead franchise. Uh, so if you're not familiar with The Walking Dead, uh, it can be thought of like uh, Lucasfilm uh, is owned by Disney uh, and Disney licenses the right to Star Wars to Electronic Arts, uh, something along those lines. And uh, yesterday, uh, the Overkill's The Walking Dead game was removed from the Steam store uh, and it was removed on the request uh, of Skybound. So I want to dive into that a little bit. I want to dive into Star Breeze's situation a little bit of Swedish and Scandinavian reconstruction law just to kind of talk about what reconstruction means uh, and a little bit about how it's different from uh, bankruptcy in the United States uh, and then really talk about why someone would do this. Why would Skybound pull the trigger and terminate the license to uh, a video game that is out there in the market and even if it's making a small amount of money is making them some amount of money uh, and I think the answer to that comes with the nature of goodwill, the nature of brand recognition, and what it is that licensors, the people that actually hold the intellectual property, are trying to protect when they change their contractual arrangements with the licensees, the people that are making something with that intellectual property. Uh, so without further ado, let's take a look at what has happened. Uh, and we're also going to take a look at a very long form Eurogamer article here, which we're only going to talk about little pieces of, but that I highly recommend for anybody interested in this. They really did a great job kind of highlighting the time frame under which Starbreeze has had its problems over the last quarter or a couple quarters uh, of the financial year and really talking about how this happened. Uh, Eurogamer does a lot of good work with that kind of thing, especially with companies that are in uh, the European sphere. Uh, so let's take a look at what Starbreeze put out there yesterday. Starbreeze has received a notice of termination from Skybound. The OTWD title rights holder, OTWD being Overkill's The Walking Dead, related to the party's license agreement regarding Overkill's The Walking Dead. Little, little duplicative in that statement, but that's all right. Going further, Skybound, the rights holder of the Overkill's The Walking Dead title, 
has received a notice of termination regarding the license agreement with Starbreeze for OTWD. Starbreeze has a dialogue with Skybound with the ambition to reach a solution. Starbreeze has been informed that the product likely will be disabled for further sales on the platform Steam, and should Starbreeze and Skybound not reach a solution, it would mean that the game will not be made available for sale again on Steam, and that the console version would not be released. Sales related to OTWD amounted to SEK $34.1 million, uh, and another couple of articles that I looked at in doing re background research for this video suggests that's about $3.5 million American dollars in the fourth quarter 2018. Costs related to development of OTWD has so far exceeded revenue. There are no assets related to OTWD in Starbreeze Group balance sheet. In other words, uh, this is a bomb, uh, at least so far, in the truest sense of the word, meaning that it has actually lost money for the company. It has not just not made as much as they hoped it would. And so when you have a situation like that, when you're pouring money into things like movies or video games, and the end result, the product that you release, is actually less than the cost of developing it in the first instance, you've got major, major problems. Uh, and that's certainly part of the story here. Uh, the other part of the story is that it was probably unexpected for Starbreeze that their licensed partner, the, the holders of The Walking Dead intellectual property, Skybound, uh, would terminate the agreement. Uh, because at, at least at a financial level, when you're looking at this, we don't have eyes on the, the license in and of itself, but Skybound was probably getting some kind of royalty uh, for sales of the, the Overkill's The Walking Dead title. And once it's done, insofar as it is done and out there in the marketplace, in general, that they're just making a kind of passive income stream. Uh, so it really takes a lot for a company to say, hey, we need to terminate this agreement. And the primary reason that they do that, terminate the agreement, is because it's making them look bad. Uh, that the intellectual property that they hold, this The Walking Dead title, uh, has its value in terms of what it can make for Skybound in the amount that it can license it out for in the value of the things that it can sell directly if it's in the business of selling things directly like comic books and things of that nature. And if it's got a licensed partner that is reducing the value of that intellectual property, it's got a problem. Uh, because if you've got somebody out there that's made a bad product and is making something that makes The Walking Dead look bad, maybe the negotiations with, let's say, AMC or whomever is using The Walking Dead intellectual property go much more poorly or go at least a little bit more poorly if there are these products that are diluting the brand that are making them look bad. And that's one of the reasons I think a lot of people have, uh, in the Electronic Arts Star Wars Disney saga, looked to Disney to try to see if they can't get out of the Electronic Arts contract because license agreements like this have termination rights, have termination provisions that say, hey, if you didn't sell enough, we can terminate. Hey, if you didn't get a Metacritic score of X, we can terminate. We're going to talk about that a little bit in connection with the Bungie Activision contract, which is still the best kind of real in the wild life contract that we can see talking about real AAA high level video game development and talking about how that situation differs from a licensor. Uh, but I did want to dive into this Eurogamer article because it really is a fascinating look at Starbreeze. And as I said at the start of this video, if you're at all interested in kind of business organization, what can happen to these things, the personalities that are involved at the top level management, how they can make good decisions and then immediately make bad decisions or vice versa, 
This is a fantastic article. This was released at the end of January uh, of this year. Uh, but I just want to talk about really what kind of led to the Walking Dead situation. So we're going we're gonna to scoot on a little bit in this article. But I absolutely recommend for anybody interested that they read it. You can see here there's a lot of volume here, a lot of things that they wanted to discuss. And it's a really, really good piece. Uh, and I, I think it's great that there is this kind of... Uh, investigative journalism out there talking about the video game industry. And I certainly want to see more and more of this as we go forward and, and this industry matures. So reading from the article, after multiple delays, a game engine switch and months of crunch, Overkill's The Walking Dead launched on Steam on 6 November 2018. It did not go down well. It's amazing we even managed to pull off something you are able to install on a PC in a single year, one developer told Eurogamer. We really tried to fix stuff as much as we could. This is why the game feels so alpha, another said. It's because it is. It's a year and a half in. It's a beta game because we made it in a year and a half. Everyone knew it was going to tank, said another. All of us, we put our blood, sweat, and tears, and our livers and pancreases, everything into that game. And no matter how much we would push to do it as best we could, it got shat on. No matter how much you polish a turd, it's still a turd. It was never going to get any better than where it was. It was always hacked. Everything that was done there was, let's hack it and put it together. There wasn't much hope for most people, and what little hope there was, was dead by the end of it. So let's take a step back just from those quotes from the developers that were actually involved in making the game. If you are skybound, if you're holding the intellectual property to The Walking Dead, and an article like this comes out, these are the exact kind of things that you don't want to see. These are the exact kind of things that hurt your brand recognition, that hurt the goodwill associated with their brand. When they essentially, quote unquote, allowed Starbreeze to make their game in a year and the game was terrible and nobody liked it and the actual developers said, hey, it's terrible going out the door, but we're going to release it anyway because we need money. That's not a good look for your intellectual property. People start associating negative feelings with your intellectual property. And this is the kind of situation where a license holder starts to say, uh-oh, we need to really look at this relationship because this might wind up having a negative ramification for us, even if we are getting you know, pennies a day from the passive investment stream. We need to really start thinking about whether this is eating in to the overall asset that we hold, and that's The Walking Dead. Going on with the article, Overkill's The Walking Dead flopped hard. Players rejected it, calling it a boring, broken mess. The artwork is solid, but the design is bad, said one person who worked on it. It's very repeat, repeat, repeat. It feels like payday all over again, and I don't think the community wanted that. They wanted something fresh. It's super glitchy. The Walking Dead failed to impress players, but it was a sales disaster for Starbreeze. Management had hoped it would sell millions of copies. At launch, it sold under 100,000, Eurogamer understands. Millions of dollars spent on game engines, development, and marketing had gone down the drain, but crucially, the revenue The Walking Dead was supposed to provide, the money needed to keep the company going, simply wasn't there. Starbri Starbreeze's share price took a tumble, and it kept on tumbling. And so that's 6 November 2018. That's November, a month before the end of the year, and they released a game that was supposed to, if not save the company, at least give it the revenue to keep on going in the directions they were pursuing. Again, this article really highlights some of the other things that they were doing in, in terms of other investments outside of the video game sphere. 
one of those investments is a, is a VR helmet that still hasn't come to market. And when you put that much money into things that are uh, either unrelated or tangential to your core mission statement, making video games, you can run into these problems if there are issues that you don't anticipate. And that appears to be one of the things that happened with Starbreeze here. Uh, but certainly releasing a game like this in connection with a licensed partner that goes so poorly uh, is the kind of thing that leads to insolvency, bankruptcy, and reconstruction. Going on with the article, we see two, two days after Starbreeze announced Anderson's departure, so this was their head, Swedish authorities raided the company's Stockholm office as part of an investigation into insider trading. Two people were arrested as part of the investigation. Uh, yes, so I don't want to make this video about insider trading. One, because I'm unfamiliar with the equivalent of the Securities and Exchange Commission in uh, Sweden. But the nature of insider trading is to say that somebody inside a company, a director, a manager, an officer, has knowledge, uh, in this case, that the financial reports of the company are going to be really bad uh, and knows that when those financial reports of the company uh, come out, that they're made public, that the stock price is going to take a tumble. And once they have that knowledge, they essentially sell their shares into the market before that tumble occurs. And depending on the timing there, the knowledge that the person had, some other rules, certainly at the American level, the United States level, that can be a violation. That's what we call insider trading. There's a, there's a number of other ways to insider trade. The basic notion of the, the crime in and of itself is having knowledge that the public doesn't have and trading on that knowledge in a public securities exchange. Uh, and in this case, it certainly appears that uh, if there were violations here, and uh, these are all alleged, I'm not accusing anyone of anything. This is just kind of a report of what has actually happened. If there were violations here, they were probably of the nature of somebody knowing that things were going down the drain and selling into the market before that knowledge was made public. Uh, but that is part of this story. So again, you're skybound. You have The Walking Dead. You have this article coming out that says, hey, we really only would put this together in beta form in a year. Nobody really liked it. It's repeat, repeat, repeat. It's the same thing every time. Starbreeze then has a couple people arrested for insider trading. And then a couple days after that, on 3rd December, Starbreeze filed for reconstruction in the Stockholm District Court. And in the same breath, announced Bo Anderson had left his post as CEO. The shares went into free fall. So it's, it's one of those things where you're looking at uh, the the situation from an outside perspective. We're sitting here on a YouTube channel or, or on a podcast talking about companies across an ocean and how they are organized, how they're arranged, and what they could have done differently, and what another company is thinking when they revoke a license uh, to this company. But I think it's important to kind of take into account this whole story. Starbreeze looks for the world right now to be a company out of its depth and kind of flailing about without a positive direction to be found. And so that's what really Skybound was looking at when they yanked the license yesterday. Uh, and to kind of get us a little bit more context into that, I did want to pull apart uh, what it means to be in reconstruction a little bit. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar necessarily with bankruptcy or insolvency or any of those kinds of things, I obviously don't pretend to be an expert on uh, Swedish uh, reconstruction law, uh, but I did find what I found to be an interesting uh, kind of legal journal entry from someone uh, named Marie Tula Carlson uh, that put this out there talking about the Swedish Business Reconstruction Act. Uh, I did find the publishing date for this article, which was 2012. 
Uh, for those of you that are doing legal research or in law school or otherwise that are following this video series or podcast series, um, you know, when you find an article like this, this can be very useful. Uh, certainly, law journals are very interesting and can uh, synthesize and put together a lot of materials for you. One of the things you want to do is you want to kind of combine the date here, which is a 2012 publication date, with whether or not the act in question has been amended or restated or otherwise altered since that date. That's one thing I couldn't find here. It doesn't appear that there's been any significant action on the Swedish Business Reconstruction Act since this time, just from a Google search. But certainly, if you were looking at this for a client, you were looking at this um, for something more professionally oriented, you would want to confirm that the Reconstruction Act hasn't, for instance, been completely altered and changed into a different act since this article was written, making this article useless. I don't think that's the case at all, but it's certainly something that you'd want to consider. And it's something that your lawyer would consider if you were, for instance, on the client side and asking questions about various acts. The lawyer goes in and researches the acts in question, talks about the case law, and, and goes forward from there. But for our purposes here, I just wanted to give an overview of what reconstruction means, and I think this article does a pretty good job of it. So we're just going to read a couple of uh, sections here. I'm sorry I couldn't highlight them because this is a PDF, uh, but I think we can follow along in any event. Corporate insolvency law has a significant impact on the structure of the commercial and financial markets. This is because the failure of a corporate enterprise affects a wide range of interest creditors, employees, and shareholders. When a company becomes insolvent and there are not enough assets to satisfy all interests involved, insolvency law indicates whom the legislator has chosen to favor. That's important, right? We've talked about this in Help Us Out Hogue and in other situations related to the video game industry or from software companies or other companies out there in the world. But when we talk about bankruptcy law, when we talk about reconstruction, when we talk about insolvency, the real notion here is we've got a company that is either unable to pay its bills as they come due because they don't have the, the cash flow at all, or they're illiquid, they, they're incapable, they have buildings, they have things that can't easily be put to market in order to meet their, their debt obligations. So they can't pay them. So what does the law do? The law has to say, okay, you can't pay these bills, you're going to go into reconstruction, you're going to, going to go into chapter 7, chapter 11, whatever it is, and we are going to have to take a look at what is the best way to get the most people that are closest to the interests that your company has the most money because they depended on you. The employees depended on you to pay their wages. The people that lent you money depended on you to pay them back. And you don't have it. You're not structured in the proper way to get that money back. How do we do that? And I think this line is, is true and it's very important. Insolvency law indicates whom the legislator has chosen to favor. Uh, and they, this goes on to say, hey, insolvency law has been debated a lot, uh, and there's a lot of different ways to handle it. Uh, it says, in many countries, there are both classical and insolvency procedures intended to enable unprofitable companies to be reorganized and made profitable. In most countries, the reorganization proceedings take place in a court of law. In Sweden, the court has a supervisory role. In the United States, it plays a more active part, deciding, for example, how the debtor's agreement should be handled during the procedure. No administrator is appointed in the United States. Instead, the management itself continues the business as a debtor in possession. This is uh, somewhat true, somewhat not. Uh, that's not important for this discussion. But what is important is the Swedish court is labeled here as having a supervisory role. They're a little bit more hands-off, at least as indicated in this article, than that might otherwise be uh, in the United States. Uh, and I did want to uh, talk a little bit about what they say further about how this works uh, in Sweden. Say reorganization of a business starts with a debtor applying to open the proceedings. A creditor can also apply, but then the debtor must consent to the application. The debtor here being the company that owes the money, the creditor being the people that lent it the money. Business reorganization aimed at enabling a debtor company to regain profitability. 
Uh, it is a sine qua non of reconstruction procedure that those involved are professionals and that they are illiquid. Uh, yes, it, you won't have a reconstruction sine qua non uh, if there is uh, not somebody that needs to be reconstructed, that they are, are professionals and that they are illiquid. It is not necessary for the trader to be insolvent, meaning they don't have to necessarily be uh, unable to pay their bills when they become due. Uh, a court granting an application for reorganization has to appoint an administrator to run the business together with the debtor. An administrator should have the specific knowledge and experience required for the task. In addition, the administrator should have the creditor's confidence. So again, when we talk about reconstruction, we're talking about a process where the creditors are the ones that are going to be left holding the bag. They're not going to get paid every dollar that they have lent that they are owed. And so you want to have a process in place that the creditor's confidence uh, is involved with, that they say, hey, okay, if we're going to allow this person to administrate the business, to run it for a little while, we need to believe that they're going to do it uh, at our behest. They're going to do it in a way that gets us the most money uh, possible. Uh, and it, this goes on to basically talk about what you would expect in terms of uh, what kind of things that the company can do during uh, reorganization, uh, what they can't do. It says during the ongoing reconstruction, debtors are subject to certain restrictions. The debtor may not, without the consent of the administrator, pay debts incurred prior to the reorganization. So that's an important one. You go into reorganization, you file that paperwork. Basically, the law in Sweden, it says you can't pay your debts that were incurred before the reorganization. You can incur, you can pay them. It says the debtor may not assume new obligations or transfer, uh, pledge or create other property rights essential to the debtor. If the debtor fails to discharge these obligations, the act is not invalid. It says you can't pay the stuff that happens before you entered reorganization. You can kind of pay stuff that kind of gets you through reorganization, uh, but you have to be coming up with a plan uh, that gets the creditors as much money as possible. The administrator is gonna be doing this with you. And that's not unusual for what this means. Uh, but it does mean that Starbreeze is essentially its own kind of zombie company right now. It's not fully in charge of its own destiny. It has to figure out uh, what it's going to be able to pay, what it's not going to be able to pay. And I think one of the things that informed Skybound and their, their decision to remove the license, to revoke the license from Starbreeze yesterday, is something that also happened in the last week. And that's this. Starbreeze applies for extended reconstruction period. Right now we're looking at a press release from Starbreeze Studios itself. And we see here it says Starbreeze has today submitted, and this today was February 21st, 2019, has today submitted a request to the Stockholm District Court for an extended reconstruction period. Starbreeze announced December 3rd, 2018 that Starbreeze AB and five subsidiaries had filed for reconstruction where the Stockholm District Court approved the application and assigned Lars Soderqvist from Wessel Soderqvist, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that, in Stockholm as the appointed administrator. On the creditor's meeting held December 21st, so a couple weeks later, the Stockholm District Court further approved the continued reconstruction up until March 3rd, 2019. So they had given Starbreeze uh, roughly a couple more days to figure out what they were going to do to solve their debts, uh, what they were going to do to really handle this all for themselves and to reorganize in a way that they could find profitability at some point in the future. If you're looking at it from Skybound's perspective, on December 21st, they were told from the Stockholm District Court that Starbreeze would have its stuff figured out by the beginning of March. And maybe Star Skybound could hold on and see what kind of Starbreeze survived that procedure at the beginning of March. However, 
Starbreeze has now submitted a request for each company reconstruction to continue for an additional three-month period. The administrator supports the request, which is an important thing to say because the administrator is outside of their power. But it does mean if this were granted, that the reconstruction period, the reorganization period would not end March 3rd, 2019. It would end sometime in June. And so it's another three months of Starbreeze being without their own power, without their own control, not knowing whether essentially they're going to fold or whether there's going to be some other kind of drastic reorganization that's going to happen to the company and its subsidiaries. So if you're skybound, you look at this and say, hey, we thought we were at least going to get answers by March 3rd. We were willing to at least let this fly for a little while until we got those answers on March 3rd. Now we see that Starbreeze is moving forward with asking for another three months, another three months where our name is out there potentially in the mud, another three months where they're not fixing the game, another three months where we don't know what Starbreeze looks like. And that, to me, looking at this from the outside in, is the kind of thing that would might, might just be the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, this finishes up by saying, as previously announced, the reconstruction plan states that Starbreeze will focus on its core business of internal game development and publishing. The company has initiated a process to find collaborations with external parties to secure that the non-core operations develop in a positive way. And again, if you look at that Eurogamer article that I will link to in the description, that had a number of discussions of what Starbreeze was doing outside of the video game sphere, including the development and manufacture of a high-end uh, virtual reality set of glasses. Uh, and so they're saying... As part of this reorganization, we're going to ditch all the extra stuff. Uh, the court and the administrator is going to help us ditch all the extra stuff. We're going to be a video game company again, uh, but we can't do it in March. We need to go through June. And to me, looking at that, this is the kind of thing you say this was six days ago. This was about a week ago. That does that makes sense to me that a company like Skybound would have to make its decision over a couple days to figure out whether it wanted to move on this. Uh, but it certainly seems like the kind of thing that would say, yes, yes, they did decide to move on it uh, because they're just not going to get the answers they want from Starbreeze and or they're unhappy with the discussions that they're having with Starbreeze uh, behind the scenes. And so we're going to go and now we're going to talk about a couple of the more articles covering this, uh, which I think really did a good job of talking about what this means uh, to everyone. The first is uh, a GameDaily.biz article called Skybound Ends Contract with Starbreeze as Overkill's Walking Dead Pulled from Steam. It says, after poor sales and reconstruction efforts, Starbreeze's Walking Dead game was removed from Steam today following Skybound's termination of its licensing contract. It's been a rough few months for Stockholm-based game developer Starbreeze Studios. Following disappointing sales of the PC release of survival zombie shooter Overkill's The Walking Dead in November, the studio announced that it was scaling back. And so far, 2019 hasn't been much better. Starbreeze unloaded the rights to System Shock 3 amidst its restructuring earlier this month and just last week filed for a reconstruction extension with the Swedish court. The turmoil came to a head yesterday when Skybound Entertainment, co-founded by Walking Dead creator Robert Kirkman, pulled its licensing contract in the midst of OTWD's second season. As of this writing, Overkill's The Walking Dead is no longer available on Steam. According to Variety, Skybound and Valve are still figuring out a solution for those who already purchased the game. In its statement to Variety, Skybound said, Our creators and their stories are the core of Skybound, and since 2014, we have worked hard to expand the world of The Walking Dead into an exceptional co-op action FPS. We did our best to work with Starbreeze and resolve many issues that we saw with the game, but ultimately Overkill's The Walking Dead did not meet our standards, nor is it the quality that we were promised. We are exceedingly sorry to our fans and share their disappointment in the game. We remain dedicated to providing our fans with the most premium quality content we can offer, 
and will continue to look for alternative video game options for the IP. This article goes on a little bit further to talk about the Starbreeze situation that we've discussed in this video, but I wanted to highlight a specific statement that they make here in their statement to Variety, which is, it ultimately did not meet our standards, nor is it the quality that we were promised. And I do think that promised is an important word here. Uh, we've gone over now to the Variety article called Overkill's The Walking Dead Pulled from Steam, Devs Want to Resolve Season 2. But the nature of saying that something was promised to you, especially from a kind of lawyer's legal perspective, is that there was probably a contractual uh, statement. There was a representation or a warranty or even a covenant that Starbreeze agreed to hitting a certain mark of quality with respect to the game. Now, that might have been something quantifiable. That might have been an actual statement in the representation that said, hey, we're going to hit a Metacritic score of 80, uh, and if we don't, we owe you something back, or you can terminate the agreement or something along those lines. And we can see the termination provisions when we go over to the Bungie Activision contract in just a moment. Or it could have been something more uh, ambiguous, something more vague so that the each party could say that they have met it or that they could discuss it if something happened. And that would be that something like Starbreeze says, hey, we represent and warrant that our game will be uh, of a uh, satisfactory level and quality and will have not more than X amount of bugs uh, and won't have uh, problems that are being reported to Starbreeze or to Skybound or to Steam or whomever. Uh, and something like along those lines could also give rise to a termination right. But if they were promised a certain quality and it was a contractual promise, that is the kind of thing that can give rise to a termination right. And certainly a lawyer that is covering things from a licensor's perspective is going to take a look at these things and say, hey, we need to be able to have the right to walk away from this agreement, to walk away from this contract, if the other party isn't doing what we wanted them to do. Uh, now, we can't be... Uh, draconian about that. We can't be demanding things uh, that we ourselves couldn't do insofar as uh, we are contracting out with a third party for a reason. You know, there's a reason Disney contracted out for Star Wars because they couldn't make the games that they wanted to make under the Star Wars license, and so they tried to find someone that could. There's a reason Skybound contracted out the rights to this game because they couldn't make a, a four-player cooperative uh, shooter. Uh, they knew that Starbreeze could. Uh, and so, you don't want to enter into those license agreements. You don't want to enter into those contracts with an overly draconian requirement because you don't want to make it impossible and you don't want to be difficult to deal with when getting these things done. But you have to protect your intellectual property. And it certainly sounds to me, looking at these articles, looking at these statements, that that is what has happened here. Uh, it, the Variety article says, in a brief statement posted on its website, Starbreeze said it is in discussions about the agreement with Skybound and is trying to resolve the issue to find an amicable solution with the ambition to finish and, and deliver Season 2 of the game as previously communicated. Skybound told Variety on Monday that Valve was working on a solution for people who had purchased the game on Steam for PC. In Wednesday's note, Starbreeze said that Skybound had filed a license-related complaint with the main digital distribution platform for the Starbreeze game Overkill's The Walking Dead, and that the game would be removed from Steam in the near future. That's actually the statement that they released just before the statement that we read at the start of this video, actually calling the license terminated. Uh, and then it goes on to repeat the statement that we read on the uh, Game Daily Biz article. It says, in an update to its statement Wednesday morning, they further outline uh, that if they did not reach a solution, it would mean that the game would not be available on Steam and talked about the, the $3.5 million in sales. And uh, that's really the nature of the situation here. Variety goes on to talk about a little bit more detail, a few more interview items, and a few more statements from the various interested parties here. But the nature of the thing is that the game is no more. It's off of Steam right now. 
It's unclear whether it will ever return. It's unclear whether the people that bought the game will ever get some of the content they were promised with respect to a season two of this game. And obviously, that's a very unfortunate circumstance for the people that did buy into this game. Uh, that's the, the, the $3.5 million in sales, whoever those folks are, that bought this game are probably not going to get exactly what was promised and may not get any of what was promised. Uh, and that's certainly something that everybody should want to avoid. Uh, but it is the nature of the, the kind of games-as-a-service future. Uh, companies go out of business all the time. They go bankrupt all the time. One of the absolutely standard contractual provisions for termination is, hey, if you go bankrupt, I can terminate this agreement. Hey, if you go insolvent, hey, if your assets are put in the possession of creditors or administrators or reconstruction, then I can terminate this agreement. That was certainly part of the agreement that Skybound had with Starbreeze. So when Starbreeze did file for reconstruction, it would have been one of the communications that they had early on that said, hey, we know that this puts basically all of our agreements are able to be terminated, the ones that our vendors hold, because they know that we're not necessarily going to be able to pay them. That's why they can be terminated on that kind of uh, agreement. However, the bankruptcy laws of the various states, of the United States, uh, of the various countries uh, of the world, will have certain other requirements that say, hey, maybe, yes, you have the right to terminate it contractually, but you can't without violating certain kind of bankruptcy protections, certain reconstruction protections. So it's an ongoing conversation between the licensor, the licensee, the administrator, the court, all of the interested parties in order to get to something that is remotely amicable. And I think that was probably a conversation that was had early on in terms of the reconstruction being filed by Starbreeze, the people that were unhappy with the Metacritic score, the people that were unhappy with what commentary was coming out in places like the Eurogamer article. And if I were guessing, as I am on this video or on this podcast, as to what kind of this looked like over the period of time that this happened, they were mollified at the start that they would wait until March 3rd. And then when they were at, when Starbreeze went out and asked for an extension, that was, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. That was enough for them. They're not going to wait until June. They're going to find some other way to get this license out in the way that they liked. And they're unhappy with the whole thing and probably have some interesting things to say about their relationship with Starbreeze that may or may not come out uh, in the future. Uh, but talking about this just a little bit more, I did want to talk about the nature of termination provisions. Uh, and so we go once again to the Bungie Activision contract, which if you saw me kind of break down the various sections of when we talked about Bungie leaving Activision a, a month uh, or, or two ago, uh, this is the contract that was essentially released out into the wild based on a uh, dispute that Activision was having with the folks that ran Infinity Ward and that now run Respawn and that are now at Electronic Arts. And because of that dispute, this particular contract that was between Bungie and Activision uh, that talked about the Destiny project came out, and it is really one of the best examples anybody outside of these contract negotiations has of what these things very often look like. Now, this is almost 10 years old. It's getting on in age, and certainly it would have been amended and restated by the time anything happened with Bungie and Activision this year, but it's still useful in terms of informing folks about what these things generally look like. And so we see here in section 17.1 of that agreement, Activision shall have the right to terminate this agreement without penalty upon written notice to licensor, that's Bungie, in any of the following instances. After the launch of Destiny Game Number 1, if retail sales of Destiny Game Number 1 on a sell-through basis have not received at least 5 million units during the first six months following commercial release. So that's, you see the first termination right there is you have to sell a specific number of these things or else we get to terminate because essentially Activision here is paying for development. I don't know what the development split was between Skybound and Starbreeze. It probably looked significantly different from this, but 
the types of things you can terminate for include, hey, you have to sell a certain number of units because we want to make sure that that the units are getting out there. We're getting the royalties we wanted to get. If you don't sell that number, we can at least re-examine this arrangement and say, hey, we might want to terminate it. The second part is at any time after the launch of Comet number two, Destiny's kind of unique here. It had a long run. Hey, you're going to make these games for us. Hey, you're going to make these expansions for us. This is essentially a timing component that says after you've developed about half of what you are scheduled to develop under this agreement, we can also terminate because things aren't going the way we want or we just want things to be over. But here's the important part that I wanted to talk about with respect to quality. And that's in C and D and E. Now, this doesn't actually relate to the Destiny project because there was nothing at all in existence of Destiny when this contract was entered into. But C and D and E all talk about Halo Reach, which was this company's prior game. And that said, uh, in the event licensor's Halo Reach game does not commercially release in 2010, in the event Halo Reach fails to score a game rating of at least 80 on GameRankings.com or Metacritic, as measured one month after release, or if retail sales do not re, uh, reach six million during the first six months. So your prior game, if it doesn't hit a Metacritic score, if it doesn't release when you said it was going to release, if it doesn't sell at least six million copies, then we can terminate this other agreement. And so I think it's important to kind of acknowledge these are the types of things that can be built into an agreement that probably will, were built into a Skybound agreement. So when you're looking at a company that goes into reconstruction, that is essentially has officers sued for insider trading and arrested for insider trading and has an ongoing dispute there, that then has a game release that almost certainly doesn't reach any kind of Metacritic threshold that would have been put into agreement, you have a Skybound, you have a licensor that can look at this relationship and say, if we want to terminate, there is no doubt in my mind that they would have had a number of avenues in their contract to so terminate if they chose. And that's really what they were looking at here. Uh, one of the things that this doesn't really represent is if you think about the Activision and Destiny relationship, Bungie kept that intellectual property. Uh, that's one of the main things that we really talked about in that video that we discussed earlier, is that Bungie kept the intellectual property, and that meant that Activision didn't quite have as much interest in the property as it might otherwise have had. It's one of the reasons Activision has gone out and said they let Bungie go, that they wanted to focus their development efforts, they wanted to focus their companies and their personnel on making their own intellectual property and not making intellectual property for others. But in a license contract like we're talking about here with respect to Skybound and Starbreeze, you're looking at a contract where Skybound has all of this interest in the intellectual property and has all of this interest in not allowing that intellectual property to lose its goodwill, to lose its value. And so there are going to be significantly more provisions than this that talk about hey, if we find out that in your game there's been some messaging that we don't like, that we shouldn't relate to our brand, if we find out that in your game X or Y or Z has been put in that doesn't relate positively to our brand, then we'll be able to terminate that agreement and potentially sue for damages. There are vastly more protections related to a license agreement where you've got actual intellectual property going from a licensor's hands to a licensee's hands. If you can imagine for a moment what those Disney contracts look like when you're dealing especially with Disney Prime characters, when you're making a game that involves Mickey Mouse or something along those lines, those contracts are notoriously difficult to enter into, difficult to negotiate, difficult to compromise on, difficult to discuss with the license holder because there's all this value that lives in that intellectual property in the hands of the license holder. And so they want to make sure that you don't do something that is terrible or that is dumb with their property. These are the kinds of things when you talk about 
Electronic Arts working with Disney and having to go through uh, management and officer meetings and every single change and every single design decision has to go through four approvals, five approvals. Those are built into the agreements and that is absolutely part and parcel to having a strong license holder. And I don't know whether Skybound is that strong of a license holder. Disney's pretty notorious for that kind of thing, as are most of the movie studios. Uh, but even if they aren't, any lawyer worth their salt would have had in their contract provisions regarding how the intellectual property is to be treated and giving that company termination rights if it wasn't happy with the output, if it wasn't happy with the product. Uh, and so I think that's what's happened here. I think the extension to the reconstruction really kind of drove this. And it really did make Starbreeze even more of a zombie company uh, than it already was. Uh, and so I think it's a very sad story here. I think Starbreeze has made games that I have personally enjoyed in the past. Uh, and I hope that they will have the opportunity to continue to do so in the future. Certainly, it will be a very different Starbreeze than what existed before uh, certain people left, certain people were arrested, uh, the reconstruction of the company. Uh, but I do think that when they're on their game, they have released good products. And certainly, in respect to the industry, I always hope that these game developers, these game development companies can be as maximally profitable and as successful as possible. Uh, and that, unfortunately, doesn't appear to have been the case with the Starbreeze story as of yet. But hey, there's always tomorrow, and that's really what Reconstruction is about, is about resurrecting companies, helping them figure out what they should be focused on so that they can be profitable, so that they can employ people, so that developers can get uh, done what they need to get done in terms of getting products out there uh, that people can enjoy and love. Uh, and so that's what I have to say about that. Uh, if you like this channel, please do like, please subscribe. I regularly talk about these things, video games, information technology, software, sports, business, law. Uh, and if you would like, please do share it with wherever you uh, are otherwise a participant in a uh, community, uh, whether that's a message board, whether that's a forum, Reset Era, NeoGAF, Reddit, Tumblr, wherever it might be. Uh, I really do get a lot of good engagement on the videos from sharing that you guys do and in places that I can't get to while I'm otherwise doing law during the business day. Uh, so please do share, please like, please subscribe. And thank you so very much for watching or for listening to this on its podcast version. And I will catch you on the next virtual legality.